Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss a coffee shop without any people in it a bank advertisement without understandable words in it, and what we love and can't stand about that one device with so many cool things in it. Robots, acronyms, and iPhones. Oh, my. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. It probably comes as no surprise that when a customer experience enthusiast passes by a big sign in San Francisco that says robotic coffee bar, he has to check it out, right, Joey? <laughs> well, well, first of all, yes, absolutely. Second of all, I swear, only in San Francisco, right? Robotic coffee bar, either in San Francisco or on the back lot of a sci-fi shooting set in Hollywood. Exactly. Well, I actually had such an experience the last time I was in San Francisco, and I passed by a retail establishment called Cafe X. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about it. So when you walk in after seeing this sign, the first thing that you notice is there's actually nobody else in there. There's no humans. It is just a bunch of digital menu boards and some kiosks and this big robot in the back that is protected by glass. It's basically a long arm like you might find in a factory. And you can tell that there's some coffee-making machinery in you know behind the glass with it. So the first thing I noticed was the menu was actually reasonably sized. A lot of things that you might find at, at a bigger coffee shop with a green logo were there and all sorts of different kinds of milks and et cetera. So I went over to one of the kiosks and it's all touchscreen, of course. And I go in and I place my order and I wanted to make something a little bit different. So I think I did a flat white that day with, I don't know, I want to say that they were <laughs> offering oat milk or some stuff like that because it was uh, <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And so I go ahead and place my order and I pay for it all with the kiosk and it gives me an order number. And so at this point, I can see the robot starting to do its thing and it's working the machines. It, it basically looks like it's a barista with no head, just kind of working these machines. And it makes a coffee and it puts it down still behind the glass on a counter. And my next job is I have to walk over to the glass and on a separate keypad, I have to type in the code that the first one gave me. And when I do, and and uh, we have a, a little video of this part that we can share, the robotic arm springs to life. It goes over and gets my coffee. It puts it in what can only be described as a little coffee elevator where my cup then descends down to where I pick it up. And... There it is, a hot steaming flat white that actually looked really good and tasted really good. 
Well, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, how did it taste? So two things. Number one, how did it taste? And number two, did they do the little designy barista swirl in the top of the foam? Or I don't drink coffee, so I don't know if a flat white would have that normally or not. Or Yeah, if- I think that's normally going to be a cappuccino. I'm not sure. I think it'd be a cappuccino, but I thought, you know, because that's the thing that I think most baristas increasingly are no it's the artistry of making the coffee which you know that's the question do we lose artistry with robots well it's a great question and but what i think is interesting is that the coffee is actually delivered without a lid you put your own lid on and one of the things that's happened with this to go environment that we're in now is that the artistry is already lost right because you can't see that beautiful cappuccino when you get a to go cup with a lid Now, when I go into a coffee shop, I'll often order a cappuccino to stay and I'll ask for it in a mug because I I like that experience. I like the artistry. I I like the idea of sort of drinking a coffee in a warm mug. But alas, 95% of the time I'm getting a a to-go cup as well. So I thought this was really interesting. And by the way, the whole time I didn't see a human being. Were there any customers in the store? No, but to be fair, it was like... 2.30 in the afternoon or something. It wasn't like, you know, a very popular time. And I did notice elsewhere that uh, this was actually a storefront, but I noticed elsewhere in San Francisco, they had some like just pop-up kiosks on busy corners and there were lots of people there. They just had like a little tent up and one, uh, you know, another robot and, and people would walk by and those were manned by a human who was basically explaining it to people. I think it was meant for marketing more than anything. Sorry, Dan, to make sure I understand, you mean Cafe X had kiosks out on the corners throughout the city too, but this was more of a retail establishment. Yeah, they were doing both. Um, I happened to notice it because of the retail establishment and the aforementioned sign that said robotic coffee bar. So, you know, we've talked on this show before about how robots may or may not be taking over the world. I think you and I kind of both think they won't, but this is a kind of an example where they really are. And that's what I thought was so interesting about it. Well, I think they will, but they won't. So I think robots are going to take over the world with regards to making the thing that you want to taste the same every time. So for example, French fries at a fast food restaurant right? The robots have pretty much already taken that over. And in some particular locations, it's completely the robots. And for what it's worth, I'm kind of okay with that because it means the fries taste exactly the same every time I order them. If I was a coffee drinker, which again, I'm not, so forgive me listeners if I'm about to make a faux pas in coffee observations. But if it's something like a flat white, is that what you called it, where there's not as lot of artistry in it, I think the robot makes it just fine. If it's the cappuccino to stay and I want the little swirly design on top, well, maybe the robot can make that too. But then does the robot have a limited number of designs they can make until we upgrade this software to the next set of designs? I think it's just one of those things where the jobs that are not requiring any creativity or personalization, get outsourced to the robots. And hopefully it calls on the humans to play at a higher level. Yeah, although I've seen people post online pictures of cappuccinos that have beautiful images screened onto it. I think they're actually taking photos and screening it on kind of like you can do on the top of a cake, which obviously requires some sort of machinery to do. It's not That's not a human hand doing it either. But what I was thinking about when I was having this experience was I actually 
was comparing it to the experience that I had where we talked about back in episode 52 with Mojo Coffee. And what I think is so interesting is that here are two fairly new coffee companies, and they are intentionally trying to create unique experiences, but those experiences are almost exactly the opposite. One of them is focused on getting lots of humans together and engaging with each other with no Wi-Fi and coffee service at the table delivered by humans. And the other is really meant to be a fast cup of coffee that is still of premium quality, but really has nothing that is sort of human related to it. And so I thought that that was pretty interesting that that both of these can survive in this current world of customer experience being a differentiator. What do you think? First of all, I think it's an interesting observation. And you're right. These are opposite ends of the spectrum. And I do think both can survive because what we see throughout the history of business is there are people that will pay for the convenience of fast food. And there's a separate set of people that will pay for the four-hour dinner at the fine restaurant. Now, sometimes the Venn diagram of those two customer bases overlaps, as I think there would be people who might go to Mojo Coffee if they have the time to sit down and enjoy a cup. But if they're kind of moving quickly, they might be more excited about Cafe X. I do think that the Venn diagram has a little more overlap in these two brands. But I think more and more, to your point, it's about doing something different. It's about not following the trend. And since so many coffee places in general are trying to be that third place, to take a phrase I think that was originally used by Starbucks, I think Cafe X is doing an interesting job of creating something that is different. It's kind of like drive through coffee without the people and without a car. So I'm now wondering of our listeners, those of you who are coffee drinkers, what is your ideal coffee experience. And what I'd like you to do is leave us a message at experiencethisshow.com. Go to the contact page and you'll see simple instructions for leaving us a audio message that tells us what you like in an ideal coffee shop. And we will include your observations as well as other listeners in a future episode. It's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. We're looking at you, lawyers and accountants. Words matter, and there is no excuse for trying to hide what you mean. We explore words and messaging in this next iteration of Say What? So when Joey and I came up with the idea for a segment called Say What? I think it was exactly this kind of example <laughs> that we had in mind. It's as if it's, is this life imitating art or art imitating life? I'm not exactly sure. Okay. This is, I'm so excited about this one. This is exactly folks. If you only knew like three seasons ago, Dan and I are talking about how we're going to come up with things. We're like, what if say what? Like, you know, when a bank does blah, blah, blah. We could do that as a whole segment type. And that's where we're going. Sorry, I, I stole the thunder just a little bit. Here no, it it's quite all right. So on uh, LinkedIn recently, there was a post shared by Dipanjan Chatterjee, who is a vice president at Forrester. And his research focuses on marketing, brand, experience, insights, and growth. And he shared an ad that his daughter found from a major US bank. Now, this is a little bit critical. So Joey and I don't name companies when we're being critical. But I I am going to read the entire ad to you. Joy, I hope you got a long time. Get out the popcorn because here comes 
this is a whole ad, people, on social media or on email, or we don't know where it was. It looks to me like it is the subject line of an email. This is what I was hoping. <laughs> this is the part that you're supposed to actually understand to make you want to click through to the email, yes. folks. So we're setting the stage. Okay, great. Exactly. Great. So here we go. All right, I'm ready. It says, earn 2.50% APY with an IRACD, period. <laughs> I, I think I'm stunned. I think I'm stunned. Could you fit more acronyms into a seven-word ad? I think there were three words that were not acronyms in that ad. Yes, uh, you are correct. And uh, <laughs> that is also what uh, Dipanjan uh, pointed out when he wrote on LinkedIn. So he shared the ad, and here's what he wrote. Quote, is this even English? Someone explain what this means, unquote. That's my daughter's reaction after being messaged by her bank. She is old enough to be somewhat curious, but young enough to be utterly befuddled. The financial services category is in dire need of a lesson in communication relevance. Often, providing a better brand experience doesn't take a lot of money, tech, or people. It takes common sense. And then he goes on to say a few other things, and he finishes with, this is not rocket science. It's human science. You know, I so agree with him. And I think what's fascinating is there are companies, especially big banks, that have entire divisions that allegedly are focusing on customer experience. They're trying to figure out the best possible touch points at the retail establishment, the best possible interactions to have when you log into the mobile app for your online banking. They're looking at all the different touch points in their business and trying to enhance and maximize those. And the basic words they're using to communicate are confusing. And they're not only confusing, I mean, you know, he mentions that his daughter receives this, so we don't know how old she is, but my presumption is she's old enough to have her own bank account and her own email address and get this prompt and then kind of sends it to her dad, knowing what her dad does. But I think is what's fascinating here is even if you are, you know, a seasoned banking customer, there is a high likelihood that you know what some of these acronyms mean standing alone. But the combination that they've put them into makes it super confusing. Exactly. And I put acronyms and jargon into the same bucket, right? We In every industry, there is internal jargon that companies use themselves. And they often leak it into marketing, thinking that their customers speak that same language. Hence, uh, his daughter's reaction, is this even English? No, it's not. It's bank. That's what it is. It's bank. It's speaking bank language. It's not speaking English. And I think there are a lot of industries that that suffer from this. So shortly after seeing this post, I also came upon a really interesting and related report by a company called Visible Thread. And they offer measurement and analysis tools for things like tone of voice and readability. So they recently released a report that looked at the top 50 banks in the US and their communications. And the results that they found are quite astonishing. There were five key findings. The first was that 58% of U.S. bank content is not readable for the average American. 58%. <laughs> what I love is that it's 58% is not readable, not easily understood, not a clear call to action, You know, not descriptive enough. No, it's not readable. Number two, it's an industry-wide issue. Even the best bank websites are harder to read 
than Moby Dick. And their measurement tool is able to read Moby Dick and decide how readable it is and how easy it is to read. And, and it compares it to bank. Luckily, their measurement tool read the book that was assigned in school that most of our listeners chose not to read when it was assigned. But that's amazing, right? It's amazing that it would be easier to read a seminal piece of English literature and not be able to read the email from exactly. Your bank. So uh, number three is that jargon-laden complex language drags down the scores of the top performers. So we touched on that. Uh, number four, long sentences with only one out of 50 banks scoring at an acceptable long sentence use level. So their technology, again, looks at the length of sentences and understands that the longer a sentence, the less likely it is that someone's going to understand the whole thing because they're going to doze off in the middle of it. So is it basically that James Joyce has gotten a job writing for the banks? Yes. And number five is the academic tone of voice with almost 90% of banks also using passive voice at excessive levels. Now, I know we're getting to be this is like giving people some flashbacks of, uh, of English class in high school or college. But Joey, why don't you go into a little bit more detail? Well, what I thought was interesting about this graph, and, and folks will include this in the show notes, a, a picture of the, the findings. They also included a graph where they ranked readability of things you might be familiar with. And the premise behind this graph is that the average American reads at the eighth grade level. And so text should have a readability score of 50 or higher in order to achieve optimal reach. Now, on this graph, on the far left side of the graph, with a readability score of 30, which by the way, we're shooting for 50, is the Harvard Law Review. And having read the Harvard Law Review in law school and a lot of other law reviews in law school, I get it. It's a lower score, right? So that's a 30. So on the other end of the spectrum is Harry Potter. Fantastic read, intriguing, page turner, 72.8 is their score. Now, where do the banks fall? Well, what's interesting is we go from 72.8 down to 57.9, which is Moby Dick. Then we go to 50, which is the minimum score. And that's your top 10 banks achieve the minimum score. And I wouldn't be surprised, although the study doesn't address this, that if they're part of the reason they're the top 10 banks is because people can actually read their materials. I, you know, I think it's interesting to posit that and see if that may indeed be the case. The next score down is the next 30 banks, the middle 30 banks. They get a score of 48.4. And then we get to the bottom 10 banks that get a score of 40.5. By the way, an academic research paper on chess scored a 40. So the bottom 10 banks are about as exciting to read as an academic paper on chess. Folks, or this is, isn't uh, difficult. It's understandable to read, right? I mean, it's, yeah. And well, I at this point in the game, I might find the academic paper on chess even more exciting to read than the typical <laughs> message from a bank. But you're right. We should be clear. This study was referring to readability, not excitement level. Yeah. And it's important also to note that this is not just talking about marketing. This is talking about the terms and conditions that you get or the card member agreement from your credit card company or they scour all the websites of the top banks. And so it's every piece of written communication that they're using. And I think 
you would hope that the marketing would be the easiest to read, right? Because you're obviously trying to get people to do business with you. So I think the example that we showed that we talked about at the beginning of this segment is even more shocking because it's marketing. When you start getting into, and, and trust me, having worked in the credit card industry, I did get into the, the bowels of the terms and conditions. There are a lot of words out there that are mostly lawyerly words that people don't understand. You go and ask the, the man on the street, they have no idea what it says. And yet, they're still talking to the customers that way. So that we close the loop on this, if we go back to the bank ad that Dipanjan's daughter found, APY stands for annual percentage yield. And that takes into account the interest rate and the ability of your money to compound over time to give what is considered to be the most accurate idea of what your money could earn in a year. Why they can't say interest rate, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> But they can't. And an IRA, uh, you may know, is an individual retirement account. And you also may know that a CD is a certificate of deposit. What you may not know is that you can have a CD as part of your IRA, which essentially means that it's a product where you're investing retirement funds in cash instead of stocks or bonds. People, when you're writing to your customers, read the stuff out loud like your high school teacher used to tell you to do. Read it to your kids if they are around the eighth grade level or older and make sure that they understand because if they don't, your customers aren't going to either. Sometimes the customer experience is amazing. And sometimes we just want to cry. Get ready for the roller coaster ride in this edition of I Love It! I can't stand it. If you ask most people born in the last 50 years to name the single piece of technology that has most affected their lives, I would wager that a healthy majority would say smartphones. Yes, home computers, DVRs, and streaming audio and video have all been huge influences, but it's hard to measure up to that one device that seemingly has our entire lives on it and can still fit in our pockets. So given that we all experience our phones many times each day, we thought it would be fun to try an I love it, I can't stand it segment on smartphones. Now, before we begin, you can probably guess that we're going to ask you for your thoughts on smartphones so that we can include them in a future episode, especially since Dan and I are both coming from an Apple iPhone user's point of view, and we want to hear from you Android users out there. We know you exist. We may even be friends with some of you. We think. We've heard that you exist. But anyway, just go to www.experiencethisshow.com, click on Contact, and leave us a voice message with your first name and one thing that you love and or one thing that you can't stand about your smartphone. Dan, would you like to start us off, my friend? Sure. I have found that as I have gotten older... I forget a lot of things. And so I use the reminders and the alarms on my phone constantly. And I honestly don't know what I would do without them. I think I'd have like sticky notes taped to my forehead. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Something that I love is that so many separate devices have been combined in one. So I now have my watch and my calendar and my wallet and a calculator and all these things that I might have had in my bag or on my person that I was carrying now all exist in a single device. 
I also like that it has become one of the main ways to connect with the outside world. And I don't mean just because of the telephone piece, which in fact is probably the least used connection method, but email, social media, texting, Slack, whatever it is, however you connect with other people, you're doing it through a single device, which I think is unique in the history of various technology that we've used in the past. I would agree. I think the other thing that I love about it, which is kind of similar to the connecting to the outside world, is that ability to connect specifically with other people. So share a calendar, a to-do list, a shopping list. I know on more than one occasion, I've been on my way to the grocery store or in the store shopping, and my wife has been adding things to the list that are just automatically updating on my list so that we have those. Uh, We can share photo albums. There are all sorts of things that you can more easily share thanks to the technology behind your smartphone. And I would also say, and Joey, you will figure this out in a few years, that actually knowing where your kids are, find my iPhone, and also being able to reach them via text or phone, wherever they are, it is one of those things where... I sometimes wonder, like, what did our parents do when they couldn't get a hold of us? And somehow we all survived, but it's a nice thing to have today. Yeah. Remember the days where you used to have to plan where you wanted to meet and at what time, as opposed to just, hey, whenever you get there, text me. Yeah. It's interesting how that works. I I think that's a, a segue to the fact that they're really no more truly offline experiences. You know, there's an ability to create an online component of almost every experience out there. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying you should, but the fact that this technology exists and allows us to do that, I think is pretty awesome. We want to be careful about it, which I am imagining we might come to in some of the can't stand aspects, but it's certainly an amazing technological advancement. All right, let's move over to the cat stands. And I'm going to kick this one off to and say, I cannot stand Siri. There, I said it. (laughs) I'm sorry, Siri. Oh, my gosh. Here's the crazy thing. Siri heard that. And Dan is going to be punished now, just for the record. Siri, I love you. And Alexa, I love you, too. Just wanted to make sure all the robots in my house knew that I love them and think they're amazing. I do love Alexa. I do not love Siri. I think half the time she doesn't understand me. And the other other half, it seems like she's not listening to me. So I kind of think she's just like a teenager. Yes, exactly. You know, hey, what, what, what was that you said? Or a five-year-old, maybe. Hypothetically, I've heard they act that way too. Yeah. Now, an- another thing that I struggle with, and I come across this pretty often as a speaker and spending so much time in events and conferences, is the number of people who don't turn their phone off while they're giving a speech or while they're attending a speech or while they're in important meetings or while they're leading meetings, it's like, folks, vibrate. It's a function. Set it on your phone. The only time you should ever have your phone, I think, set to ring audibly is if you are asleep expecting a call that someone has gone into labor and you need to rush to the hospital, right? That's really the only time I feel like the ringer should be audibly on. Otherwise, just put it in your pocket and let it vibrate. Put it in your purse, let it vibrate, call it a day. So I think also, and I know the Android listeners, should there be any, will laugh at us for this, but I think the battery life continues to be an issue. I do have the new XR, which is not the top of the line, but it is sort of the next one down. And it has the best battery that Apple's ever had. And it is amazing compared to the past. I think Android users would probably say like, yeah, I had this amount of battery life in my very first Android. But I think it's really interesting. We could talk about this in another episode. 
that Apple, for all of its love and for the fact that you know it has so many customers that just love it and revere it, has gotten away with having such crappy batteries for this long on an otherwise almost perfect device. Yeah, but I think the counterbalance and the Android users are going to hate me for saying this. So what? Your phone has an amazing battery. What are you doing? What are you using it for? You know what I mean? So I think that's part of the reason why Apple's gotten away with it is because so many of the apps and so many of the functionalities on the iPhone side of the smartphone platform have become indispensable in our daily life. But one of the apps or one of the functionalities that I have to admit drives me a little bit crazy is my music starts playing without me opening it. So like I'll be on a call with someone and I'll end the call. And when it was the corded headphones, I'd press the button or I just tap on the AirPods and all of a sudden music will start playing. And then like I'll tap again and next thing I'm calling someone and I'm like, no, no, wait, I just want silence. We're done using the device. Just end it. And yeah, sometimes that doesn't work as well as it should. Yeah, I don't understand that. And it's also happened with our podcast, by the way. Sometimes all of a sudden I hear you talking to me, like our podcast just starts playing and I have no idea why. Frightening. It is strange. So uh, another one that I think is problematic is this uh, talk to text. And I I hope that this gets better over time because not only does it not work on my phone, I actually just tried using it on my computer the other day and it wasn't working there either. This is one of those things where if it isn't 100% accurate, it isn't really useful at all. I mean, there's no sense in me dictating a blog post if I have to go back and spend uh, 45 minutes editing it. So I love the concept, but I really want to get to the point where I can dictate and send texts and emails and write things without having to worry about its accuracy. Agreed. The last one I'll say, and this is may qualify as a public service announcement, texting while driving. Let me be very clear. I am somebody who historically has used my phone while driving for phone conversations, which I know is also not the best choice. But if you've got a text pullover, I have literally seen cars crash into other cars because someone was texting. And while sometimes my amazing wife, Barrett, needs to remind me not to text while I'm driving or needs to say, I see a text came in. Why don't I respond for you while we're driving together? I think a next iteration device for Apple would be to mandatorily shut down the phone's ability to text when you're driving. I know you can set this as a function, but I think it'd be interesting if they used the uh, accelerometer and the velocitor inside the cell phone to know whether the vehicle whether the phone is moving, i.e. in a car, and it shut down your texting. Now it has to be able to know whether you're the driver or not. But I think if it kept prompting you and you're saying, are you sure you're not driving? Are you sure you're not driving? It might be a subtle enough reminder to get people to stop texting. Well, and it can also probably figure out if there's another person in the car or if you're alone. And so if you're alone, then it could happen automatically. Yeah. In any event, that was Joey's and my idea, by the way, Apple. So if that comes out, we'll be waiting for our checks. Have a cent royalty. That'd be fine. Exactly. Have a cent royalty on every sale. And I would say the last thing I, that I can't stand, and this is true of both kids and adults, is that phone addiction is a real thing. And I think we're going to have to deal with it as a society, in particular with our kids. I see it in my kids. Joy, I know you see it in yours. I mean, I'll acknowledge this. I think more and more the parents I talk to who lament screen time for their kids and how much phone addiction they have. When I hang out with those parents, lots of times their phone is visible to me. They're on, you know, it's not in their pocket or in their purse or in their coat, you know, stored away. And so I think, 
I, I agree that it's a problem for every user, but I also think as much as it drives us crazy when kids do it, parents could up our game on this too. I definitely agree. So listeners, what do you love about your smartphone? And what can't you stand? Let us know by going to www.experiencethisshow.com and clicking contact today. Go ahead, hit the pause button now and do it so you don't forget. Unless you're driving, then don't. We've talked, you've listened. Now it's time to act. There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not just focus on three takeaways? Takeaway number one, are you really thinking outside the box or are you just saying that you are? Cafe X launched a series of coffee shops without any humans. And it's still a unique experience, to say the least. Is your company willing to try something so daring? What can you do to stand out in a crowded marketplace? And how can technology help you think differently? Takeaway number two. Are you talking to your customers in a way they actually understand? Do you use industry jargon and acronyms that you understand, but that may confuse your customers? When is the last time you audited your marketing and customer communications to ensure that the language you are using is simple enough for an eighth grader to comprehend? Takeaway number three, what do your customers love and can't stand about your product or service? Have you ever asked them directly? Do your executives have a good sense for what's on both lists? What are you doing to increase the number of loves and reduce the number of can't stands at your company? And those are the three takeaways for this episode. Remember that next week's episode will be a special live edition that we recorded at the Cytel Group's Empower CX event in April. We hope you enjoy what will surely be a unique listening experience. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Experience This.